there. Amen. Let's take God's word together and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And I think 1 Peter is one of those books that is written to prepare us for the last days, to equip us for the end of all things. It is very practical in many ways. It deals, the, the, boat, the two letters of one, two uh, epistles, one and two Peter, are fantastic little letters that prepare us for the challenges of the last days. But as well, they give us instruction on how we are to live. And I want to draw your attention. We've been looking on Wednesday nights at the Christian home. And I think, as you've heard me say before, there's a great need in the world in the Christian world, in the church today, for instruction and teaching to be given on the home. And uh, much, much of what we cover and will cover for some of you is, uh, you've heard this before, it's elementary, you may say, uh, but it's needful. And the things that we're looking at today perhaps may not be as elementary and it may not be as, as common as some of the other things. So I want you to listen carefully. I want to cover three, really three main uh, topics from this portion of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3. It really begins at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2 because instruction that we find for the wife and for the husband in the third chapter are found based upon the example of Christ. And that therefore brings everybody in, man, woman, child, everyone who's following the Savior, not just husband and wife, but in particular in the third chapter, husbands and wives. It's interesting, if you look at verse number 1 of chapter 3, it says, likewise, ye wives, meaning in comparison and similarity to what has previously been spoken. And again in verse 7, likewise, ye husbands. So in comparison and in similarity to what has just been previously spoken. And what has just been previously spoken was given the wonderful example of Jesus Christ. In fact, everything we have in this Christian life is born out of the perfect example of Christ. Now, it's more than just that. Now, there's a modern, and I believe it's a false teaching, that reduces the Lord Jesus' life on earth and therefore his death and burial and resurrection. They reduce it to simply a good example. We know that the Lord Jesus came to die, to offer himself a sacrifice for our sins so the atonement could be made. And his life, the example of his life, of course, was the bonus of now showing us how we are to live in him. So we, we look, and I don't ever want to make the mistake of uh, focusing only on his example. And I, just, I want to make that clear. I think we, we know that around here that we, we preach much of the, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior. But we also pre preach much and speak much about his example. At the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me please, and verse number 21, this is the little example. It comes at the end of some instructions given to uh, servants, and uh, by the way, there are many folks who like to try to pick apart the Bible and shoot holes in the Bible and say, your Bible, look there, condones slavery, and they have no idea, this uh, is not talking about what the modern ideas of slavery when you're viewing the servant servitude of the, of the New Testament and even much of the Old Testament. There were laws and regulations to the nation of Israel on how they were to treat those who came to labor beneath them. In fact, there was one law written at one time that after seven years they were to be let go free. It's interesting, and uh, nobody wants to talk about that. And oftentimes, servitude was a result of someone being so in debt that they couldn't pay their way out. So they, they identified, they connected themselves to, a, to an earthly master so that the needs could be met 
and they became their servant. And that master then swallowed up their debts and for a certain agreed to amount of time. And here we go, after the encouragement given, the commands given, instructions given to servants, we find uh, in, in this text, in verse number 21, for even hereunto were ye called, speaking of how to suffer wrongfully. I wonder if you've ever suffered wrongfully. That is a mark of those who follow Christ. You will eventually, in some way or another, suffer wrongfully. I'm not talking about suffering because you've done something silly or you've done something sinful, but suffering for doing what is right. Scriptures say in verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, whom, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. One of the best things we can do when going through false accusations or being reviled, one of the best things you can do is commit yourself to God, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Wonderful example of Christ, who he is, and what he has endured for us, and how he suffered in submission to the Father's will. And now we come into the third chapter, and we find some very practical instructions for the home. Now this is not a popular portion of scripture in the modern day and age. But nonetheless, it is God's word. Verse number one of chapter three. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, I want to stop for just a moment, and I know that there are some ladies in our fellowship, in our congregation, whose husbands do not know the Lord. And often there's a conflict of knowing how to act and how to behave in a home when one is a believer and the other isn't. Now this isn't, uh, isn't just for the wife. This can go for any unbelieving couple. But especially for the wife who does not have the leadership and does not have uh, the right to say as a family, okay, we're going to do this and, and, and uh, sorry, buddy, but you better follow. That's not the right way to go about it. In fact, the scriptures say here, uh, wives... If any obey, if, if any obey not the word, speaking about the husbands, they may also, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. What an amazing thought that your behavior at home could be the very thing that causes your husband to turn unto the Lord Jesus. That's what it's saying. That without you preaching and running it down their throat and without you, you know, uh, wearing the britches in the home, as it were, you can live before them in such a way that they may be one. It goes on. How is that possible? Now, this is a beautiful passage that talks about the real beauty in the life of a woman. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
They're going to watch the way you live in sobriety and modesty. They're going to watch the way you watch all of your actions and words coupled with fear. Think about that beautiful combination of being chaste, being watchful, being sober, and also coupled with fear, the fear of God. And surely your husband ought to see, or, and even your wife ought to see, that your greatest fear in life is reserved for God Almighty. I think it's an interesting thing in regards especially to the wife, that the husband may be able to look at his wife and see, this woman is showing respect and honor to me, but she respects and honors someone greater. And that is God himself. And then he takes it another step further. Who's adorning? Now this goes for every wife. That word adorning is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word. It is the Greek word cosmos. No, not the same one that we would think of when you're thinking of the world. But cosmos, which is literally the root word of where we get the word cosmetics from. And so here's what Peter is saying. The adorning, the word adorning means the harmonious arrangement of things. It's kind of like you see the stars in the sky so beautifully arranged by a great creator. We couldn't possibly say that was an accident. Beautifully arranged. And so Paul, uh, Peter says the adorning of a woman, the arrangement of a wo- the, the careful and harmonious arrangement to make something look beautiful of a woman, look what it says, should not be that outward adorning. Now, we are living in a culture, in a society that puts such an emphasis on the outward appearance. In fact, Peter lists three things that should not be the focus. Not the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, and the putting on of apparel. You are not. Some women imagine that they are beautiful because they spend so much time on their hair on their jewelry, and on their clothing. You think, if a woman today, nothing new, puts an emphasis on on an area in their life, it's typically their hair, some sort of a jewelry, and some sort of clothing. Now, I'm not saying, some people go really far and say, that's it. No woman should ever wear any jewelry, no makeup, no fancy clothing, and uh, they should never do anything with their hair. Just let it be tangled and matted. Now, I'm not saying that at all, and I don't believe Peter is saying that. But what Peter is saying is that the real beauty of a woman is that which is internal, that which is inside. And he goes on to say, look, uh, if you're going to carefully and harmoniously arrange your life so that it looks more attractive, then you ought to be giving more attention, look what he says in verse 4, to the hidden man of the heart. I've met a lot of women who are beautiful outwardly, but they're absolutely disgusting inwardly. And the same can be said about men. They give a lot of attention to the outward, to the absolute neglect of the inside. I've seen seen some of the most beautiful women in the world ruin the lives of godly men. I've seen it. There's someone in my mind right now who was following on with the Lord and believed he had a calling in his life for the Lord and his beautiful wife has absolutely destroyed all of that. And yes, beautiful outwardly. Something terribly wrong inwardly. 
And so Peter says, let your work it arranging to make something beautiful. Let that attention be on the inside of the heart. Look what he says, in that which is not corruptible, meaning this, the other things are corruptible. Ladies, I hate to break it to you, but one day your hair is going to fall out. It's going to turn gray. I hate to, it won't be as full as it is right now. I hate to break it to you because it's corruptible. And that gold that you wear will be tarnished. You'll lose it. Somebody will steal it. The clothes that you wear, you'll find one day, you go on to put on that, that very expensive clothing that you purchased, and you'll find it's eaten by moths. Or you'll find that the fat has changed, so it's no longer popular, so now you've got to find something else, because it's all corruptible. All the external is corruptible. And I hate to break it to you, but we are putting such an emphasis on everything that is rotting before our eyes. And Peter says, take care of that which can never be corrupted. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Think about that. The ornament. What do, you, what do you do with an ornament? An ornament is used to bring decoration and beauty and attention. It's, it's wonderful to behold an ornament. should be. The ornament of a woman is meek. Now, don't think that's a... Uh, you trying to push us, trying to step on top of us. And no, 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 no. The Lord Jesus was meek. One of the leading characteristics of the Lord Jesus was his meekness. So we're not at all, we're not at all saying you're trying to put you down. A man ought to be meek as well. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek. Right? So we understand this is not trying to step on a woman and belittle a woman, but it's saying the real beauty of a woman. Look, we've all been there before when a loud, obnoxious woman has absolutely put everybody off in the room. Now, I'm not probably going to be unpopular for saying that, but the truth is we've all been there before, and we all felt uncomfortable. The meek, quiet spirit, the Scriptures say, which is in the sight of God of great price. Can I tell you one of the problems is we're not looking in the sight of God. We're looking in the sight of men. We're judging our beauty in the sight of men rather than the sight of God. And that goes for men as well. That goes for us gentlemen. Look, you can, you can, you can comb that hair all you want to, but it's going to fall out. You can spray it all you want to, but hey, it's, it's all, everything is it's rotting. It's falling apart. You know, I'm, I'm, every time I pinch back here, I'm getting more than I've ever had before. And you realize everything is not what it used to be. And we begin to realize everything that the world puts such stock in, which is so important in the eyes of the world, is actually rotting before our eyes. That's why, uh, that's why I, don't, I don't mean to uh, bring this up again. I do, but that's why this whole response of the coronavirus is wrong because it's, again, an outward reaction to the flesh a preservation of the body but we are all dying so self-preservation of the flesh is an absolute waste of time i i might i might mask up put four masks on stay 67 meters apart and do all sorts of other things but you know what i might at the same time die of cancer and the problem is we put such an emphasis on the outward man to the neglect of the reality within Let's get that sorted. And so Peter, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, is saying, women, ladies, wives, if you would, this is the way you win your husband. And this is the way that a marriage becomes so beautiful and attractive. 
in the eyes of God. He says in verse number five, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now, everybody likes to admire the Old Testament women, and, and Peter calls them holy women. You know, we, we would rarely ever, we'd probably not ever dare to say, well, he's a holy man or she's a holy woman today. But we look back, Peter says, she was, they were holy. And this is the way that they lived. You can admire them, but you're not willing to follow their example. Holy women, this is the way they did. In verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Uh, we just put a new rule in my house. My wife's going to call me Lord from now on. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, it's the idea of reverence to, to the headship that God has ordained in a home. She understood that this was the God-ordained method. And so, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. I, I, it would much, it'd be much better for you to be a daughter of one of these, like Sarah from the Old Testament scriptures, than to be a daughter of some modern supermodel. And some of you, no offense, some ladies, no offense, you are trying to be like modern day supermodels rather than trying to be like the women that God has given us in scripture. And it's a problem. Now we go on to the husbands. Now this is a serious one for the, for the men. Likewise, ye husbands, listen to this. And there are four things in this one verse that are, that are crucial if your marriage is going to be what it ought to be. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There are four things there. By the way, God puts the greatest responsibility and accountability on the man on the husband. The greatest accountability and responsibility is on the man. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, an interesting portion of, of scripture we find in verse number four, remember a mar marriage, marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so we find, we find this, this uh, great uh, emphasis placed on the honorability of marriage, that it ought to, ought to be honorable. And that is found here. And there are four things in this one verse, men. For us. Look at the first thing. Dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. Now, what does that mean? To dwell with your wife according to knowledge. It means to know your wife. Do you know your wife? Yeah, I've lived with her 40 years. No, no, but do you really know her? Now, here's where my mind went to when I was looking at this. Psalm 139. Just either turn there or listen carefully. When thinking about knowing my wife. I, I was brought immediately to Psalm 139 in thinking about how God knows me. Because if you remember, my relationship and my love to my wife ought to be a direct parallel of Jesus's love to us. And therefore, let's see how God, the Father, loves, knows us. In Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought 
Afar off thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Presence, if I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Now, according to those eight verses, I'll stop right there. Uh, you look at verse number 23 at the end. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Look at those verses. How well does God know you? Oh, I say he knows you very well. And so when, when I read these words that Peter is writing under the leading and inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he tells me that I ought to dwell with my wife according to knowledge, then I have a responsibility to know my wife. Now, it is God's, in his character to know us. Now, he made us, he created us, and he is omniscient. But it is, he made it his business to declare in his word how much he knows us. And therefore, men, it ought to be our great business, first of all, of knowing our God, and secondly, of knowing our wife. It's a huge responsibility. In fact, it's, it's interesting when you begin to think about the things that God has, has ordained us and ordered us to study. Paul writes to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Every one of us ought to be studying the scriptures. And men, the second thing you and I ought to be studying is our wife. Think about that. Studying the scriptures and getting to know our wife. And I wonder... Do you know her? Do you know her? The second thing in that verse, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now this causes a lot of friction unnecessarily amongst ladies. I'm not a weaker vessel. Who do you think you are? Now hold on a moment. This is giving honor to them. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's the idea, you've heard me say it before, of a beautiful crystal vase and an old tin cup. And you can kick that cup from here to Timbuktu and you can pick it up and use it again. But if you do that to the crystal vase, it's going to shatter into a million pieces. It's different. It's different. And we are told to give honor. Unto the, women, unto the wives as unto the weaker vessel. It does not say mistreat them as the weaker vessel. Now, I'm probably going to get some angry people, but we all know, everybody knows, that women are phys typically physically weaker than men. Now, there are the exception, exceptional sort of Amazon women, and, and, uh, and that, that's okay. I, I'm not, I'm, that's not at all a criticism. But I'm saying, by and large, men are built differently than women. And that's just the way it is. Now, that's why there's such an uproar. Let's, let's be honest. That's why there's such an uproar that this transgender business has now allowed men to call them, grow their hair out long, call themselves a lady, and run in a race with women. And women are absolutely devastated because they know they don't stand a chance. Because we know that biologically there's differences. And that doesn't mean a man is better than a woman. It means we are suited for different things. That's why it's such an outrage, this, this movement. 
But this is what God is saying. We need to dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto them. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment what it means about giving honor. We're told in Scripture to give honor unto our fathers and mothers. Remember, honor thy father and mother. We're told to give honor unto the king. So the same way we would honor our father and mother, the same way we would honor our king, husbands, we are to honor our wives. Unfortunately, in a lot of marriages, we don't see that. Unfortunately, in, in, in a lot of marriages where there's an understood uh, principle of, from God's word that men lead, unfortunately, men can be very heavy-handed. And anytime there is a, a leading of a man in the home, Without the giving of honor to the wife, you have an unbalanced home. And it's not right. And if you don't get that right, then you are failing. You cannot lead properly. You cannot expect your wife to follow properly if you're not giving unto her honor. That is necessary. That's what the scriptures very clearly teach us. Giving honor unto our, our wives. It's to show respect. In thought, word, deed, publicly, privately. Men, I, I, sometimes we can have a good little laugh, but we should never be ashamed to demonstrate our love, to even declare our love in the midst of others for our wives. It's easy enough to tell your wife you love her when you're at home and you, and you came home late or you didn't do what you should have done. I love you. Yeah, but are, are you ashamed of that publicly? Are you too cruel? You know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of folks, who it's, it's, it's an embarrassment to, to show love and honor to their wife. And it shouldn't be that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And there's much in, much in this letter to the Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church planted in a real pagan city. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at the end of it, in verse number 32 to 34, Behold, I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, and she, uh, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now that's not a criticism. Don't read that and, and think that's a criticism. That's an observation. Because there requires that care. In a marriage, when two become one, uh, there is a required care for one another. And so, husbands, make sure you are giving honor unto your wife, living with them according to knowledge, understanding that you cannot expect them to do what you do. You cannot. You cannot expect them to be what you are. There's a difference. And then we come to the third thing in the verse. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Thirdly, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. In case you thought, fellas, that, well, there you have it. The women are weaker. And uh, there we go. As if God knew what would come to the mind of a man. He said, you are heirs together of the grace of life. Spiritually speaking, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. In the eyes of the Lord, spiritually speaking, there is no stronger one because of how you were born and to what home you were born. And so we are heirs together to become one. We are joint heirs with Christ. 
we read together in another portion of Scripture. But the Scriptures say we are being heirs together of the grace of life. Romans chapter 8 is a well-known portion that deals with this as well. Verse 17 and 18, listen to what it says. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. With our wives, men, and ladies, with your husbands, we are joint heirs together in Christ. All of all that we can receive. It's not that, oh, the man gets to receive some wonderful blessings from God, but the woman doesn't. No, no, we are joint heirs. The eternal riches in Christ are to be shared with one another. There is, there is no hierarchy, as it were, in the eyes of God when we come into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joint heirs. Heirs together of the grace of life. Think about that. Heirs in that little verse there, heirs together of the grace of life. There's a particular inheritance we have together. And that is the grace of life. The goodness and kindness of God that was intended to be found in this life. We enjoy that together when we live harmoniously in the way that God intended. And the fourth thing that's found in that one verse, look what he says. Let your prayers be not hindered. Now, this is perhaps the most serious part of it all. If we don't get this, this is speaking to men. If we don't get this right, men, your prayers are hindered. Did you ever think about that? Your relationship with your wife directly affects your relationship with God. Wives, likewise. Your relationship with your husband directly affects your relationship with God. And your prayers will actually be hindered if you don't get this right. I'm reminded of what the Old Testament prophet Malachi uh, wrote. Return with me there in Malachi chapter 2, uh, last book of the Old Testament. And this is what God is, is writing, speaking through, through the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 13, the scriptures say this, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Here's someone weeping at the altar, crying out tears at the altar, fervent prayer before the altar. And yet ye say, why isn't he regarding it? Why doesn't he see my offering? Why doesn't he see my tears? Why doesn't he hear my cries? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? He might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You can't have a bust-up, knock-down drag-out with your wife at home, Come to the church and weep and cry and expect the Lord to hear your prayers. Deal with that problem. Get it right before the eyes of God. Then come, offer your gift before the Lord. Then come and offer your tears before the Lord. I think some of the, one of the reasons that uh, many times we are hindered in our walk with Christ is because we won't get this right. Now, very practical things very helpful things, very challenging 
to some degree. But they all stem from looking unto Jesus, following Christ, and that perfect example that he gave to us and perfect humility and submission to the Father. Both. A perfect example for the wife to follow and a perfect example for the husband to follow and a perfect example for everybody else to follow. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is a powerful portion of Scripture. Don't let it offend you. Look at the next little verse. Finally, be ye all of one mind. One of the most challenging things in any kind of a union, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a church family, one of the most challenging things is to be of one mind. One mind. That's our desire. Let this mind be in you. By the way, that one mind is not the husband's mind or the wife's mind. That one mind is the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I wonder if you've got that. We find that principle of having this mind, the unity of mind, all through the New Testament. Romans 15 and verse number 5. Let me read it for you in closing. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. I read it a moment ago, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Romans 12 verse number 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend unto men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. May God give us a unity of mind. If we'd had the same mind on these matters, we're going to be okay. Let's pray together. I hope these, these, are, these are helpful little truths and principles to you. But let's bow in prayer this evening. Father, we thank thee for thy word, and we thank thee for the clarity of it. And we ask of thee now, Lord, for us not to just hear thy word, but by thy Spirit's help to be able to apply it. We pray that every one of us, whether we be married or single, not married, may each one of us, endeavor to be more like our Savior and follow His example. We ask for assistance, God. We need Thy help. We pray that the husbands, the men of this church, may be the men that they should be. They might dwell with their wives according to knowledge. They might give honor unto their wives as unto the weaker vessel. That we might be those who recognize that we are heirs together of the grace of life. And also, I understand the consequence of not following thee and obeying these clear instructions that our prayers would be hindered. Give us a unity of mind and heart, we pray. We pray for our dear wives that they might recognize that the most beautiful part of a woman is not her hair or makeup or clothing, but is her heart. And we pray that the women of this church may be exemplary in this, ma in this way, in this matter. That they might show that the beauty, the true beauty, that is to be displayed as that which comes from a heart that is yielded unto Christ. Help each one of us, Lord. A challenge for all of us, I'm sure, but help us to submit to thee in thy word. And as a consequence, may we live together as we ought to. Bless our marriages, protect our marriages, Father. Protect our homes, our families, and our church family as well. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his